Hello and welcome to Wiley on Business with Authors, a podcast where we talk with the authors that business leaders are reading. It's a known fact that highly successful leaders are generally voracious readers and that a great book can be one of the most efficient proxies for experience. My name is Jake Wiley and over my nearly two decades of business experience and client service, owning a business, as well as being a CFO, I've had the opportunity to see the direct impact great books and thought leaders have had on business successes. I've had the incredible fortune to be able to sit down and chat with the authors of the books the leaders we look up to are reading and share some of the backstory and insights that led to these thought-provoking books directly with you. Dave Lindahl is the founder and CEO of RE Mentor and author of Multifamily Millions. Over the last 20 years, Dave has bought and sold over 8,200 real estate units with a focus on multifamily commercial properties. The most important message that Dave stresses is that when you do it all yourself, you end up burned out and then out of business. You've got to surround yourself with the right team, and those include both employees as well as external contractors. Let's jump into the conversation and listen as Dave shares his path to success. Well, Dave, thank you so much for making the time to to join me today. This is really exciting. I've, I've read your books. I've attended your webinars. Your story about you know, building a team and that's how you build a business is, is just right on point with everything that we talk about on, on the podcast. So thank you for being here. And you know, I'd love to kick it over to you to, to talk about what's important to you right now, what's going on in your life, what's, what's new in your business, and you know, we'll pick it up from there. Uh, well, right now, what's important in my life is um, a couple of things. We are in the middle of uh, getting into one of the biggest opportunities that we've seen since the 2008 financial crisis, which is the COVID opportunity. Um, uh, the, what happened with COVID actually left a lot of sloppy, for, for lack of a better phrase, slop, sloppy owners exposed. Um, and it wasn't really their fault. They, we just came out of a 10-year run where... You know, you could make all kinds of mistakes investing, but we were in such a, an upcycle and it was moving so fast that anybody that made a mistake, their mistakes were usually corrected by the market. The problem is, is they, they didn't feel any pain from their mistakes. You know, they're, uh, they're almost rewarded for it. So that made very sloppy investors. And then when the market got pulled out from under everybody, you know, those without the skills, the operational skills, you know, there's three major skills in multifamily investing. There are the deal sourcing skills, uh, the foundational skills, I mean, the... Um, uh, the, the money raising skills and the operation skills. Most people go after the first two because it's so sexy. And, and they, they forget about the last one, which is the operations, because they're so busy chasing more acquisition fees and more deals. So those are the people that exposed, got exposed, unfortunately. And they're everywhere. Uh, so this opportunity is, is big. I, you know, we've been going, this is my third market cycle. So I know what's going to happen. We're going to get into a period of time where two or three years, it's just, you know, you're just running, 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 running. And uh, so in the last few years, you kind of, of a market cycle, you just kind of rest up, you do other things, you maybe look at other business opportunities, you know. I had kids, unfortunately. So for the last four years, uh, I've, had, I've had three kids in four years and uh, it's been crazy. So I thought, you know what, I probably should have like had those kids a little bit earlier, <laughs> you know, before this market cycle. So I could add a little rest, had some fun. But, so those are the two, big, the two most important things in my life right now, my kids and my, uh, in this next cycle. Well, congratulations on the kids and, and congratulations on the cycle. I think a, a question before we dive into the, the questions proper is that you see the market, especially in like real estate, residential real estate, the home buyer's market is, is out of control you know, across the country. And, you know, you're talking about there's, there's kind of a yeah. coming in the multifamily. Can you, can you help bridge the gap as to why that is and like how that's happening? Why the opportunity is in multifamily, or do you want me to include the single family? No, no. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you, you, single family stuff seems like it's a runaway train right now. But you're saying that there's such an opportunity in multifamily for sloppy, for the sloppy folks. Um, yeah. Why is that? It's because see, they get caught. They get caught with their pants down in the sense that they weren't operating the properties properly. So when COVID came. Uh, and they lost their tenant. Well, they, a lot of their tenant base lost their incomes. Um, so what happened is rent stopped being paid. So when rent stopped being paid, uh, owners stopped doing the maintenance. I should say um, bad owners start, stopped doing the maintenance on their properties, not realizing that the number one reason that a tenant, a good tenant will leave your property is the fact that you don't take care of the maintenance. It's not that the rents are at market or they're higher, which typically they are. They're usually at market. 
the rent isn't the number one reason people leave. It's it's the fact that the ownership they feel doesn't care for them anymore because they're not doing the maintenance request. So then this is like a downward spiral. I call it the death spiral. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time to get there, but now we're here. It takes anywhere from six to six to twelve months to get here for an owner. Um, and so what happens is the, the good tenants are going to leave and you can't replace those good tenants with the same quality tenants because the same quality tenant will not come into a place that's not taking care of its maintenance. So now your tenant profile starts to degenerate a little bit. Um, and then as the tenant profile starts to generate, more good tenants leave. They're replaced by uh, you know, not as good tenants. And then the maintenance continues to, to, to build up. Again, more tenants leave and then the quality of tenants declines even further. And when you have a, a quality of tenant that's declining, what happens is, is your revenues are at risk again because these people typically skip out four, five, six months down the road. So now we've got even less revenues to take care of maintenance that's not being taken care of. So the owners actually get to the point where they can't cover the mortgage payment. It takes a while to get there. The smart guys, the smart people that got involved in multifamily and, and you know, saw a whole bunch of appreciation in a short period of time but weren't really good at operations, they get out. They get out early. You know, they, they, they saw the situation. They're like, oh, shit. You know, I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's like, oh crap, we can't take care, you know, we can't handle this, but I'm smart enough to realize I can't handle this, so I'm gonna take the equity that I have left and leave. So those deals are already gone. So now what we've got is we've got all these people that are in, either in pre-foreclosure or in foreclosure. CoStar Analytics said that uh, the CMBS mortgages uh, will have its highest default rate in 12 years coming into this year and going into next year. That's just CMBS. We have Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and FHA as well. It's gonna be a tsunami of problems coming out to the marketplace. That's amazing. Yeah, I appreciate you bridging that gap, right? Because if, you, if you're out there trying to buy a home now, you can't even find one. Or if you did, it, you can't afford it. Well, the thing, no, no, if we go back to the single family aspect, the single family, the problem with that market is there's, two, there's twofold here. Number one, there is such a, um, uh, there, there's such an undersupply of single family houses and it's been building up for years now. And finally, it just kind of like when COVID happened, what happened is everybody ran from the cities and they headed for the suburbs or they headed, set, uh, they headed into the second home markets. Um, and that's then all of a sudden those markets exploded. There was no there was no correction that we expected to happen. Like I'll give you a perfect example. Now with my kids, I used to have a house on the river up in the mountains. I love that house. I used to kayak up there next to a ski mountain, and uh, I spent a lot of time up there. I had the kids. There's a 30 foot drop down to the river. The yard's not that big. The house wasn't that large. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to sell this house at the top of the market. This is pre-COVID to the top of the market. All right, and then I'll wait for the next eight nine months. Uh, and then the market's going to correct, and then I'll buy a ski and ski out on the mountain, you know, the big backyard, the mountain, right. you know, so the kids can play at that time. Uh, but what happened was, is nobody foresaw COVID happening. You know, I did this in December, unfortunately, you know, with a big lockdown happened, everybody headed for their second homes. I didn't have one because I sold at the top of the market. But now the properties I was looking at for like, say, half a million dollars, ski and ski out, they're selling for 750000 right. I was expecting to pay two hundred fifty to 300000 during the correction. You know, so, so that's what's happening in the second home market and the undersupply in the primary single family market is what's causing the surge there. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you, you still expect the correction to come? Uh, in single family? Yeah. Single family. I, I expect a correction to come in the second home market uh, because people will move back to the city. Right. You know, memories are slow. When everybody gets vaccinated, um, in like mid next year, when everything's open back up again, people got to start coming back into the city. Unless some, un, unless something else happens, you know, with some sort of a, a health uh, problem again, um, you know. And then the second home market will open back up again. But I think there's still such an undersupply in the single family market. We still got a couple of years of, you know, of supply that needs to be um, put onto the market before that market really corrects. Okay. Well, cool. And it's all, you know, real estate is local too, so you have to look at markets. Yeah, and I, we'll, I think we hopefully we'll get into some of that, like your emerging markets, the path of progress. But I guess really getting into the questions proper, you talk so much in your books, you know, in your webinars about building the right team. How much of your success would you actually attribute yeah. to, the, to the teams that you've built versus like your your ability to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and, and willpower alone? You know, it's, it's all about team because uh, certainly uh, in real estate and business, no man's an island out there. You've got you've to be smart enough to realize that you're not smart enough to do everything, you know, and then that's how you do. You supplement your, your weaknesses with your team. And, uh, and you can't possibly do it, even if you weren't smart, if you were smart enough to do everything, you couldn't possibly do everything that you would need in order to scale a business. You could certainly grow a business, but you'd only grow it to a certain point. 
So when I first started investing in real estate, uh, yeah, I bought my first couple of deals and I had gotten, you know, um, I had put a broker on my team, you know, he was bringing me deals. Um, I had an attorney that I did some business with. I didn't realize the importance of the team until I got, you know, property five, six, and seven and realized, wow, you know, this is really a business I think I can do. So it's like, all right, so how do I, how do I do this? You know, how do I do this and, and scale it to what I think I can do? And that's when I started putting my team together. Even, um, my, the first part of my team was my best friend. We were both broke when we started uh, 20, 24 years ago. And the only reason I brought him on was because I was too afraid, you know, to do it myself. He was working the second shift at Chadwick's clothing company, uh, putting boxes of uh, clothes in boxes and shipping them out. We were both working the third shift at a St. Johnsbury trucking company um, um, two nights a week so we could make ends meet. Um, but what I, what I knew is that I was very creative. And uh, as long as I could go out and get more deals, you know, uh, and I didn't have to do the stuff that deal with the tenants, you know, and he would collect the rents and he would do the maintenance and all the stuff I wasn't good at. And um, then as a team, we were able to grow because, he, you know, we, we both supplemented each other's weaknesses. Yeah, that's... And we, we grew to almost 40 properties in three years. Holy cow. Doing that. Yeah. Now, was it, you said it took seven properties for you to kind of figure it out, but was it was it, a, did you just one day it kind of click for you that like, uh, you know, I got to start developing the right team and putting people in place, or is it just this gradual thing where you just ran out of bound, bandwidth? It wasn't one of these things was like, wow, like, like this epiphany happened. It's yep. like, holy God, genius. You know, I just thought of this and this is, this is how I need to scale. I read the book called The E-Myth, Revisited. Yep. And it was all about working on your business instead of in your business. And that's what made me realize I need to be able to delegate. And when you delegate, you delegate to people and those people are your team. So that really helped out. There's another great book out there by John Rollo, which is called Built to Sell. And I read that book probably five years in when I was building other businesses as well. Because, you know, once you get one down and you get your systems in place and you get your teams in place, that frees you up to look around for other opportunities if you're that type of person. Right. And I am. So uh, I started reading, you know, as much as I could about, you know, about all the even, um, what is it, Richard Porter stuff from Harvard Business School. You know, his management stuff is all about team building. Um, all that, all that stuff is great. So you keep feeding yourself information about teams and, you know, realizing that even, even now, you know, here I am 24 years in the business. I'm probably on my eighth or ninth business. You know, some of them I've sold off. Some of them didn't make it. Uh, the idea wasn't right. I've got one business right now that's in limbo because my timing was off. It wasn't the fact that I didn't have a team or I didn't have the people in place. It was just like, oh, you know, COVID threw the timing off in that business. I opened it up in March of last year, right at the start of COVID. And uh, it was like, damn, man, now everything is, um, everything's getting pushed off because of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going through a, a, um, a consulting right now, uh, again, about scaling and team building, you know, how to put everything in place, how to eliminate myself from the process, basically. Right. And that's what, as an entrepreneur, that's what we want to do. We want to be able to eliminate our, ourselves from the process because eventually we want the ability not only to scale, but to sell. And we can only sell when, when we're not, you know, one of the key factors in the business. So let's flip it on its head a little bit. And can you, can you give an example or tell a story about a time that you got it wrong, you know, so we can share some of the knowledge and, and some of the lumps you've, you've hit along the way to say, okay, yeah, look, I tried to do this. I was cheap or whatever it may be. And you, you learn the lesson the hard way. I can tell you a story about a property that I bought in Huntsville, Alabama. It was a 400 unit, 42% uh, occupied. I hadn't bought a property that size nor with that type of uh, distress, but I assumed I could do it. And in doing that, I was building another business. My education company was just taking off. And I was flying, I was doing two things. I was flying around the world, teaching people how to buy multifamilies. And I was also buying multifamilies because when I first started teaching people how to do it, I had been investing for 10 years. I had over uh, close to a thousand units. But as I was teaching, I was also building my portfolio and I'd gotten to almost 8,000 units, you know, in a number of years. So I was scaling that um, and scaling the education as well. And I bought this property that I didn't realize the type of team I needed on that property. I was used to momentum plays. I was used to things cash flowing and closing. You know, I wasn't used to overseeing a, a big construction. I was, I was used to be overseeing small construction on, on, uh, on small properties in the Boston area where I'm from. But this is down in Huntsville. This is 400 units, 42% occupied, all kinds of problems. And I just didn't have the right team in place because I didn't know what team I needed to have in place because of my lack of experience. That, that deal, I thought it was going to be a two-year deal and I was going to make $3 million. It ended up being a six-year deal. And uh, I paid the investors. I paid the investors back their money. Right. But 
I put that way. I wish I'd never get into that deal. Yeah. It's, but had I set myself up at the beginning properly, I would have, but it would have been a, probably been a three-year deal because it was a little bit bigger of a re, repositioning than I thought it was. But, uh, but I still would have been a three-year deal and I would have walked away, me and my investors would have walked away with a bunch of money. Didn't happen. I didn't, didn't know what team to put in place. Wasn't smart enough. It's, it's a great story. You know, it's one of those where you know, if you look back, would you, like, is there something you could have done differently or did you have to learn that one the hard way? Um, yeah, well, I learned it the hard way, but looking back, what I would have done differently is I would have put a team down there and monitored them on a regular basis, Right. which I didn't. I just assumed things were happening. I had team members there, but they were the wrong team members. They were doing the wrong things. Yeah, you, in, so in I, your, go ahead, sorry. I would have gotten a partner that knew that knew how to do that as well. Right. Yeah, I think that's, you're seeing a lot of that popping up now, like co-founders and people that kind of have the, 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 the skills for the various parts of the business to really glue the thing together. Uh, but, you know, I've read your books. And one of the things that really struck me is that you described me in the book. I've been investing in real estate since 2006. And like you, I started small. I was like, well, I can do single families and I can do doubles, duplexes. And, you know, we've, we've acquired them. And, and you point out in the book that it's hard when you do these small properties um, to get management in place that's good because it's such a small, like one-off thing. And I've struggled with that. I've gotten the calls in the middle of the night because the toilet's overflowing and had to jump in, you know, jump in my car and go deal with that. Uh, tenants paying late and being the guy that's on collections and the marketing. I've stood outside of a, a section eight, you know, place and tried to, to, to woo tenants. I've done it all. And, you know, you point out, like, it usually takes about two and a half years for somebody to like completely burn out in the business. And I, I lasted a little bit longer than that. We still have some property, but everything that you said resonated so well with me. Like in 2009, they changed the rules for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I already had five properties. They're like, well, you can't do it. So I had to go then start raising private money. We did that, which was, you know, an adventure in its own, right? Investor relations is now an issue. Um, but when you talk about moving into multifamily, lots of doors, you know, the ability to really use scale and bring a team in and, and bring that value is something that's just totally resonated with me. Could you, I guess, talk a little bit about kind of the, the philosophy and the transition that you made into the larger units and then how that working with the larger units allowed you to build better teams? Well, yeah. So um, I was never a single single family person at first. I always was interested in multifamily because Harry Helmsley, I saw an interview with Harry Helmsley from New York City. And he basically said, you know, he started with nothing and ended up owning the Empire State Building. And he said that there are groups of people out there that will give you every money every month. They'll pay for your mortgage. They'll pay for maintenance guys to swing hammers and take out the trash and clean toilets. They'll pay for people to babysit your tenants and collect the rents. And for the privilege of doing all that, they'll pay you extra money so you can reinvest, put it in a savings account, or go out and have some fun. And I thought, damn, if that's true, that's what I want. You know, I was, being, I was broke at the time, and I thought, that sounds good to me. And I uh, come to find out it was true. Uh, but, you know, we all live in fear, especially at the beginning of anything, any, any endeavor we, we have fear. And um, it took me nine months to do my first deal. But within three months after we pulled the trigger on the first one, within three months, we had three more. Within six months, we had nine. And in the first year, we had 11. And then almost 40 in three years. But they were only three to six units because I was afraid to do anything bigger. Right. Uh, and then I, we had become multimillionaires on paper. Um, and I realized that the market was changing. And either we had to go into a cash position you know, to save our equity or if we could find another market like Brockton, Massachusetts was when I first started investing, you know, coming from an, uh, the bottom to an upside, then maybe we could double or triple or quadruple our money or our equity while Brockton's going through this, the downside of the cycle. And that's when I started learning about job growth and emerging markets. And I learned about Montgomery, Alabama, bringing 5,000 new jobs coming in with a multiplier effect of three, which meant 15,000 additional jobs are going to come in, ancillary jobs to support the 5,000. So 20,000 new jobs coming into this area that was surrounded by floodplains. Um, the floodplains are a barrier to entry because you can't build in those floodplains. So supply remains stable. So it was a really good market to go into. But I wanted to buy three to six units there. I didn't want to buy anything bigger, right. but I had so much equity in my other properties. I had to buy bigger. So I, I bought a 40 and then an 80 and then a 350 in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, I realized that 
you know, the, the larger the properties, the better quality team members that you, that you will have because everything in that in multifamily is based on scale. You know, you, everybody is paid based on scale. The management companies are paid based on the amount of revenues that come in, a certain percentage. Uh, the people that you get your loans from, or the, it, it, they're paid based on the loan amount. The brokers, the, it's a percentage of the purchase price. The people that inspect the property, it's per door. You know, so you people are getting paid more and you're getting better quality people. Because the people that aren't quality, you know, those size properties, owners or, or investors aren't going to deal with them, you know, so they weed themselves out. So the, you know, the, 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 the bigger the property you get, the actually the better the team members that come, come with it in that particular area. You just need to know how to, you know, source them out. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great advice. And then I guess really thinking through like, building the right teams. Like you said, you, you, know, you gave us an example of where it didn't go well, and you've given us some examples of how scaling up has brought in better people. I guess what's been the biggest barrier to getting others aligned with your vision and your goals? Like, how do you, how do you keep everybody rowing in the same direction when you have all these teams out there? <clears throat> that's a, that's, that's a part of business function. So, you know, you, you always have to be, um, people need to know what the vision is of the company. You know, if you walked into my company, Ari Mentor, you know, uh, in Rockland, um, and just like people will visit us, so that's my education company. Um, and people will pop in there unexpectedly just to see if it's really real, you know? Right. And we've got 12,000 square feet. There's about 30 people over there. Mainly they support the people that are, you know, that we're teaching how to invest. But if you if you walk through there and you pick anybody out of, uh, out of the group and said, hey, what's, what's the vision of the company? They'll tell you. You know, immediately where we're going to go, what we're going to do. You know, we have five core values. If you said, if you pull anybody aside and say, what, what are the what are the core values of the company? They'll say, oh, there are five of them. And they'll go, boom, 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 list them down. Why? Because every week we have a meeting. And we start off with those five core values. We start off with the vision. I call people, you know, uh, nobody knows who I'm going to call. And I'll say, hey, John, what's our, what's our vision? Start us off. What's our vision? And everybody right. knows, everybody knows to be prepared for that, the cold call. You know, but that's, it aligns everybody. And then we have meetings, you know, I, I read uh, Rockefeller Habits, you know, and, and choose your top five, top, top five most important things for the year, for the, for the quarters, uh, for, for the month, for the week. So everybody's doing their top five for the week. And, you know, we have the management meeting and we all talk about the top fives and make sure they're all in alignment. And then it filters down into everybody else in the organization. So that's how you do it. It's a constant communication. Uh, inside the company and it's a culture fit i mean if somebody there if they're spectacular at, you know at, you know underwriting deals or you know or coaching students you know but yet they don't fit the culture of the company you can't have them you know it's, it's a culture fit so it's a higher slow fire fast type of mentality yeah you try i i wish <laughs> yeah you try to. sometimes it doesn't work out that way but i just reminded of you know just i've kept people on for much longer you know there's another i'm a big reader of books you know so i'm, I'm right and talk about all different books but because that's how you that's how you get additional knowledge so uh you know the book good to great have you read that one i sure have so that talks about you know as the leader of the company you got to be able to fire people no matter how hard it is because if you don't your company won't be successful and you've got to do it not only for yourself but you got to do it for the other for the other team members as well and you also got to do it for that person because that person you know if if they're not in the right place you've got to let them go and, and they'll blossom somewhere else you know so it's good for everybody involved but it's probably the hardest thing to do um i don't fire that many people anymore because i am uh, well i've gotten good at hiring number right, one but right. number two i only i only have to fire like the upper level management but i know there have been times where you know, I've sat down to fire somebody and they started crying and I started crying and we end up in a hug and, right. and it's like, sorry, but you still have to go. You know, I hate this, that this is happening, but it's just, it's a very difficult thing to do. But as a leader, it's, it's probably one of the most important things that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess let's talk about, let's shift gears a little bit to your education company. So you're, you've been very successful in investing in real estate. You've built systems, you've exponentially grown your business. Why, I guess, why the education company? And then two, what do you do at the education company to help people, like, say like me, kind of get over my, you know, doubles, singles and doubles here and, and move into the, the, the big leagues? The education company came, uh, it wasn't planned. It was, I had created a uh, real estate brokerage company because I had 
I didn't start with single families, but I but I I didn't have any money, so I used credit cards you know to get started, and then I used hard money, and then I realized I could flip single family properties to support my multifamily habit. Yep. So I got good at doing that as well, uh, and then um, one of my mentors said, who was a hard money lender, said, "I'm about to foreclose on a property over in Brockton. I know you've been doing some a little bit of brokerage on the side. I figured I could do it for other people too and make a little commission." He said, "Why don't you move your your real estate brokerage from your one bedroom apartment over to this you know this this building?" And I did. And that worked out pretty good. We ended up being number three in the city within like four or five years. I had 26 agents working for me, but it became the biggest pain in the ass. Business. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I learned that I managed my tenants myself at the beginning. I learned that's not the right thing to do. Right. Uh, and then I hired management companies or, or I created management systems too to do, have other people do it for me. I didn't do the same thing with my brokerage company. So I was managing the agents. Um, and that was like, and it wasn't planned that way at the beginning, but it ended up that way. Not, not because I wanted to. But um, it just became a wicked pain, and uh, I didn't like it. Um, number one, people in that business aren't very loyal, and I had I had um, helped people succeed to very high levels that that started out. One was a nurse, one was a disabled oil technician. One of, these are the, the ones that come to mind: disabled oil technician, um, a school bus driver. You know, they're used to making twenty to thirty thousand a year, and then two years later, they're making one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand from the stuff that I taught them. And it wasn't stuff that I knew inherently. It was stuff that I was like, holy crap, I'm going to have to manage this company. It wasn't the plan, but okay, so who's got all the information on how to manage effectively? And back then it was Carl LaCrosse, Floyd Wickman, Brian Buffini. So I just consumed all their stuff, became a good manager of people in that business. And But then Remax would come calling. I had a, I had this, this disabled oil te- uh, technician come in to me and say, hey, uh, you know, Remax, uh, they, they offered me a 95-5 split. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, I'm an independent. You know, the most I could go is is a 70-30. You know, that's that's the bit. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, well, okay, you're gonna stay or you're leaving. He's like, okay, I gotta go. I was like, what do you mean you gotta go? I was like, you're an oil, a disabled oil technician. Your leg was dragging. You know, right. you, you you earned enough money to fix your leg from what I taught you. You're gonna leave me? He's like, Dave, it's just business. I'm like, I hate this business. Right. <laughs> I'm a really loyal guy. I just hated it. And then. And it was always something going on. There was always, always some drama. My office was like a, a psychology center, you know, people coming in and I had to. So anyways, I'm driving in there one day and I was like, you know what? I said to myself, I'm not, I'm not freaking going in there. I hate that job. I hate that the company. It's very successful, but I hate it. I'm not going in. I called my sister who was also uh, working there. And I said, I'm not coming in anymore. Make Jack the manager. And that's it. He's like, you're really not coming in anymore. I said, I am not coming into that business anymore. And uh, she's like, well, what are you going to do? And um, I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And I just sat on the side of the road and I thought, what am I going to do? And then I had been going to all the different, about real estate investing, I had been going to all the different seminars, especially at the beginning. I went to them all. And uh, it's been a few years past that, but I, I made a bunch of friends and some of those friends started doing their own seminars. I thought, you know what? I could teach people how to do invest in multifamily properties. Why don't I call you know, one of my friends and find out you know, how they did it? And that's, that's how that business gets started from total frustration from a previous business. And then right up here where I just showed you, you know, I scanned it around. That's where that this business started up above this garage here. And it was my mom who's a fish cutter of the fish pairs of Boston for 27 years. She had fired, replaced by a machine. Right. And uh, she sat in that corner over there. I created these CD sets, eight CDs for my uh, how to invest in multifamilies. And she plugged each one into the computer one at a time uh, when we first started selling those courses. You know, now we have stacks of CDs that go in and out, in and out. But that's how it started. <laughs> So tell me, I guess, a little bit about what you, what you do for folks. Like if somebody was looking to get into this business, like what, what does our mentor do? We do two things. We teach people the skill set of multifamily investing so that they can go out and do it effectively and, and create, everybody's going to make mistakes, but make small mistakes, not the big ones, you know, and then we're here to support. As long as people pick up the phone and call us, there's always somebody at the office you know, that will answer a question that, uh, that a client has uh, going out there, whether or not they just bought a book, whether they got a home study system or whether they're in coaching. doesn't matter. We don't care who calls. We, we want to be a support system because, you know, as I was going through the phases, I, I was broke when I started. I didn't know anything. So many people allowed me to take them out to lunch. So many, there were some really good people out there teaching at the time. There were some really crappy people too, but I gravitated towards the good ones and I picked up their habits, which was be accessible to your right. clients. So, so we do. So we're really good at teaching the the skills involved and how to do it because we do it. I mean, zero to eight thousand units. You know, we do it on a regular basis. But what I didn't realize until about year three was that there was this huge mindset component. You know, people weren't. It's like, how come people aren't as successful as I thought they would be at the beginning? 
You know, they're using the same systems that I'm using and other people out there killing it with the same system. Well, why aren't, why aren't, aren't isn't everybody? And uh, I did a study on that because I wanted people to be, be successful. And um, it turned out to be mindset. Limiting beliefs, you know, not believing they could do it. Uh, fear, a lot of fear. I mean, I had a lot of fear doing it my, you know, my first time. I had to get a partner and do all these things. And it's like, damn, it, it, yeah, it's like they have, everybody has to go through the same process that I had to go through. You know, because when I first started, I come from a very lower class, middle, middle class family. And uh, my mom was a fish cutter. My father worked two jobs to support us. And my mother always taught us that the good stuff was for the rich people. You know, and it wouldn't, it, you know, isn't it too bad that we're not rich, basically. And that was my mindset going up until like my mid twenties or late twenties. And all of a sudden I was like, well, why not me? Right. You know, why can't I be rich too? You know, why isn't it just other people? And I started reading books like, um, the, the, uh, Anthony, Anthony Robbins, um, awaken the giant within right. the magic of thinking big, raise the bar, all that stuff. Uh, Earl Nightingale, lead the field. What an awesome uh, tape set. I am rereading for the first time in years. Um, think and grow rich, which I read for four years in a row at the beginning of every year. And, you know, that was 20 something years ago. And uh, I was, and I'm rereading it now. I'm thinking, wow, that book means so much more today than it did back then, because, you know, I've been through so much. And it's like, damn, man, I, I, I had actually forgotten, you know, what that was all about. And if you have you read Think and Grow Rich? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's actually almost chilling that you brought that up because my, today's my birthday. Right. So it's my 40th birthday. So I'm going through this midlife crisis. Yeah, it's my birthday. Right. And I got in the mail a present for my mom. And she's, she usually sends me like books, just some random books. So yesterday, literally yesterday, a box shows up in the mail with Think and Grow Rich. And she just sent it to me. And it's the strangest thing. And I was like, I was telling my wife about this. It was like, it's so strange. Like there's something about it. Like it's a sign. I've read it like four times, you know, like you have. And I was like, you know, the fact that this showed up in the mail that my mom somehow picked this up and decided that like I needed to read this right now was just amazing. So I started reading. I read half of it yesterday. So I, I mean, it just almost gives me chills that now here you are bringing it up specifically. Yeah. I was like, there's definitely a sign there. Yeah. And then you start, you know, that book and you start and I started connecting it to the different other books that I've read. And I thought, you know, this the whole mindset, not just the mindset, but actually going into have you read Superhuman by Joe Dispenza? I have not. That's a good one. That's an awesome book. So for you and for everybody else that's listening, uh, Superhuman, it's all about uh, this guy, Joe Dispenza. He's a neuroscientist and he talks about how, you know, you go into deep meditation and you, um, he goes through all these energy centers and processes, but basically you're sending information out, vibrations out to the quantum field, you know, and you're, you're dictating your future, which is basically what they can grow rich is all about. Exactly. You know? And I had read this other book that I have, one of my um, friends um, two years ago said, oh, you know, uh, uh, Jordan, blah, 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 blah. He's worth probably 750 million right now. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. And he reads it. He's got this book, The Science of Getting Rich, um, that he, he read it and he highlighted it and he keeps it on his desk. He reads the highlights once a week. And of course, I immediately went out and got The Science of Getting Rich, you know what I mean? Because I wasn't worth that much. Right. Uh, and um, <laughs> I think I want to be worth that much. So I thought, all right, if he's doing it, that must be good. So I get that book and I read it and I highlight it and it sits on my desk and, and every Monday or, or Friday, uh, I will read the highlights, you know, before my week goes on. And after I read Joe Dispenza's book, I'm thinking, you know, what? that's a lot like the science of getting rich. I wonder if it's the same author. So I went back to, you know, pick it up from my desk. I opened it up. The science of getting rich was, was written in 1910. Holy cow. Which shocked me. Yeah. And Joe Dispenza just recently came out last year. So all of this stuff, you know, there's uh, there's another book. It's kind of foo-foo, but if you if you go down deep into what it's all about, it's um it's uh, called uh, Ask and It Is Given. You know, it's all about the vibrations that you send out. You know, and what you send out, you get back. And that's why it's so important to to maintain a positive attitude. And and, and I'm not talking about Pollyanna. I'm just talking about just maintain. You can spin anything in this world to be positive or negative. So why right. not spin it to be positive and live happier? Yeah, that's although you know what negative people really negative people they really they, some of them seem really happy to be negative i don't know why but life is a lot better when you're when you're when you're when you're positive i think yeah and i mean i actually have a have a feeling about like we kind of have a theory on the whole negativity thing too is that what it is is like it invokes emotion right like you can live kind of even keel right and just kind of let the days go by or you can be super excited and passionate about what you're doing or you can be very negative but the feeling yeah is almost like dopamine itself, right? So like the negativity, you actually like, I feel it. So it's 
not the same as just kind of coasting. It just gives you something, but that's, you know, that's just kind of my theory on like why that happens and why it persists is because it, it is a feeling, right? And like you get something from that. There is a feedback loop, but I'll definitely check out those books. And I think it's just really like, it's blowing my mind that Think and Grow Rich has come up twice <laughs> in the same day. Um, yeah. I'll definitely read it. And I mean, you know, to your point there about what it's really saying and like what I'm picking up this time around versus when I've read it before is just kind of your, your, your point about being positive and just saying like, well, if you can just totally visualize what the future is that you want and you can feel it and you can see it and you take steps every day, like your mind will start to correct, self-correct mm-hmm. to get you there. And like your actions will change and you don't have to know like what all the actions are because they'll just kind of, they'll work themselves out. And it's like the vibrations. And I mean, I believe in all of these things. And I, I just think it's so cool that you brought all that stuff up. So I got, I got another really good book for you okay. uh, as well. And it was like, uh, I just started getting on TikTok. You know, TikTok's got my algorithm now, down now. And I got the fun stuff. I get the workout stuff. I get the nutrition stuff. And and I this, this person came on and said, hey, these three books changed my life. They may change yours. And one, two. And then the third one was The Mountain Is You. Okay. And The Mountain Is You is all about how to stop self-sabotaging yourself pretty quick read. I read it uh, in about a day and a half, just two days ago. I was like, wow, this, this is just right in line with Think and Grow Rich, which I'm three quarters of the way through. I kind of like stopped reading that and read this other one. And, and it, it was a really good book. So, so for anybody who feels that they self-sabotage themselves, there's this great book called The Mountain Is You Out There. Yeah. And I bet like if you don't think you do, you do. <laughs> so go pick it up. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned earlier that you have a mentor. Do you have yeah. a bunch of mentors? Like what, yeah. is, what is your take on mentors? Yeah, there's always people out there that have done it better, quicker, smarter. You know, uh, yeah, I've got mentors that I meet with and then I've got mentors that I've never met before. Like I'm, I'll never forget one of my mentors uh, is, um, you know, Body for Life, Bill Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, so when I first started powerlifting back in uh, 2000, um, they said, all, of, all the guys said, read Muscle Media. Bill Phillips writes, it's, it's one of the best books out there. It's none of us are on any drugs, like no, no drugs, this, this. And, and it was so good. And, and we'd go to these competitions all the time. And, and all of a sudden, Bill's articles weren't in there anymore. It's like, what happened? And then somebody said, oh, Bill sold. I said, he sold? He said, yeah, he sold for 300 and something million. I was like, what? How did he do that? You know, and, and that was all part of the challenge and all that stuff, the marketing stuff behind it. And when I get into the information business, so first he was my mentor that I didn't know for powerlifting. And then when I realized he was really in the information business, and then I get in the information business, then he became my mentor in the information business as well. And I don't know, do you know Joe Polish? Sounds familiar. Joe, Pol- Joe Polish is a marketer. He's a great marketer. And he runs a group called the 25K Group. So I, became, okay. I was a member of that group for a couple of years. And uh, one of, so um, as we're, he gives a, he, he, we meet in Phoenix and then he gives us surprises every once in a while. Uh, well, we were actually meet, was, it was Phoenix or somewhere in California. And he said, oh, the surprise for Sunday is we're going to Bill Phillips' house. I'm like, what? Bill <laughs> Phillips' house? This is going to be awesome. And uh, I ended up going to Bill Phillips' house. And he, you know, he served us lunch. And it was just great. I was, I was just in awe. So, uh, but that book, Body for Life, I followed that for years. You know, basically, eat what you want for six days. And, you know, I mean, uh, eat right for six days. Eat what you want for seven. And that's how I lived my life for a long time. It worked out well. That's awesome. So in, in terms of like mentors, do you, you pick up the phone and like, do you find people that are, you, you think would be a mentor and you pick up the phone and you call them or they just naturally evolve in your, in your business philosophy? No, no. Cause I'm really an introvert by nature. Right. Like I'm, I'm a deep introvert. So it's difficult for me to do that. Um, I can meet people, you know, um, it, I'm a really, I'm not a great networker as well. So what most of my most of my real mentors are people that I don't really know, um, and then I'll get into groups. You know, okay, like Joe Joe Polish's twenty five K group. I pay twenty five thousand to meet with a bunch of guys two times, um, two, um, three times a year for two days. So I seek out groups like that, and then I get in there, and then you know you get you get to meet good quality people. You surround yourself by them, and then kind of mentor each other. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and. You know, we focus on uh, each other's needs. We look at, look at how we can help each other out. That's awesome. Yeah, this, I've, I've talked to a lot of people and I think you're the first person that's that's really kind of bought into kind of these, this networking, you, you buy into almost a networking group yeah. and you believe in it, right? Which is, which is phenomenal. 
You know, uh, my good friend, Bill Glazier, are you familiar with him? Yeah. He's an awesome marketer. I don't know, he just had a second stroke, unfortunately, so you need to say prayers for him. Healing oh, prayers. wow. Yeah, it just happened uh, two days ago. Um, and I'm, I'm part of his mastermind. You know, he had his first stroke and he kind of disappeared. He sold Doug Glazier Kennedy and then he started up his mastermind again. As soon as I found out and he started up, I was in. But the very first time that years and years ago, when he was still with uh, Dan Kennedy, and he had, he had just broken off and started this mastermind group. And I said, I felt the application. And I said, but I want to know who else is in the group. And um, it was like, we're not going to tell you who else is going to be in the group. I said, well, I want to know who else is going to be in the group or else I'm not going to join the group because I don't want to be the smartest person in the room, which I right. didn't think I was going to be. But if I right. was, then there's a real serious problem with the group. That's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, he was like, he, they wouldn't know. They, they didn't put me in the group because I asked them. But then later, I was so, Bill's a really smart guy, and I was so persistent because I wanted to get in front of him, and I wanted to have like a, it was a day appointment so I could run through my businesses with him. And I'll never forget, I called all like once a week, first it was every day, and then it was once a week, and you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe a year, I think, and then he walks in the room on the one day, right, he sits down, and he looks at me, and he goes, I want to know how, you, how you're sitting in that seat right now. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you don't have any, you're not on my newsletter list. You don't have this. You don't have that. You're not my mastermind. Why are you in that seat? And you're the guy that, that wouldn't join because I wouldn't give you who's on the list. Why are you in that seat? Right. Because like, I'm so freaking persistent, Bill. And then after that, we became good friends. And I, and I did join his mastermind. But um, yeah, so I don't know why I told you that story, but. I don't know. That, that's funny. Yeah, I've read. I've definitely read every single no BS book out there. So, That's Dan Kennedy. Dan yeah. Kennedy wrote the BS book. Uh, Bill, Bill is outrageous marketing. He's got uh, two yep. really good books out of outrageous marketing. Yeah, I know they were they were connected for a while. Yeah, yeah, still they're still good friends. Very cool. So obviously, you mentor. I mean, that is the name of your business. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's talk about the flip side of it. Like, how do you feel like you feel like people should buy into these things? Um, and, and kind of what is what is the value you get kind of of the RE mentor? Uh, well, the value of RE mentor is the fact that is we're all kind of inbred. You know, we're all a product of the product. First, I created the initial um, system. And then as I brought additional people in, coaches um, and students, there are students out there now that have more over 10,000 units. I never got to 10,000. I don't care if I do or not now that one time it was a goal, but you know, you have cycles that go in and out. And, um, but there are students out there now that have well over 10,000 units. And what we do is we, we're all, we all get together on a regular basis in terms of mindset. Everybody brings value. Everybody brings information. You know, real estate is changing on a regular basis. And that allows us to share with the, the new clientele, the new student base, you know, how to be the foundational information is basically the same. But then every market phase and every market cycle, there's new information, there's a new recipe for success. So it's okay, so what's the recipe for success right now? And sometimes in different markets, it's different recipes. So that's, that's the difference between RE Mentor and other companies that are out there. We've been teaching since 2002 and uh, we're just like one big, uh, um, mindset's not the word I'm looking for. What is it when you, uh, when you put a bunch of minds together? It's like a mastermind. Yeah, we, yeah we're, we're one big mastermind that shares information on a regular basis. So, so it's like all the nitty gritty stuff that you really need. And we all realize that it all starts with mindset. Right. Very cool. Yeah. And so that's rementor.com, right? Yeah, okay. rementor.com. Okay. So I guess one of the, the final questions here, I ask everybody, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something, give you a, a piece of advice, when would you go back? And two, what would you tell yourself? And then really the last question is, do you think you'd take it? <laughs> I would go back and tell myself not to buy that deal in Huntsville. Right. <laughs> um, what would I go back and tell myself? I, I, would, I would go back and tell myself, you are worthy. Because that was my biggest um, hurdle that I had to get over. You know, that, that I wasn't, you know, I was, I was buying and selling multifamily properties. I owned 15 properties before I would move out of my single family, uh, my one bedroom apartment to buy a single family house because I didn't think I was worthy. Um, I drove around a, a 10 year old truck with a big dent in the side, you know, because I didn't think I deserved, even though I had all this money coming in, I didn't think I had deserved to have a, a better vehicle, you know? So I would get into the, I would have gotten into the mindset stuff a lot sooner than I did. I get into my late twenties. So I wasted a lot of time. I was in a rock and roll band for a long time. I was a total degenerate 
not because I was in the band, just because I used to do a lot of drugs and all that back then. And uh, I would have straightened myself out a lot faster. Okay. But I guess being in the rock and roll band, you don't, you probably wouldn't have taken your own advice. <laughs> that was the wave. I'll tell you, that, that band was so much fun. I probably wouldn't have taken any advice to get out of it until, you know, you get, I was in it for eight years. So all of a sudden you realize it's like, you know, we almost made it once. It's like, this probably isn't going to work out. You do have a few brain cells left, you know, maybe, maybe it, being broke all the time. Isn't that great. You know, maybe there is a better life out there. Yeah. I was never in a band, but I, I definitely had moments in my life where it was, you know, riding the wave was, is, was what it was all about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We go through phases, you know, yep. the important part is to recognize, you know, when you're through a phase or to get through a phase to help you help you break through. I mean, people stay like I've got, I used to smoke a lot of pot in high school and all that. And, and I've still got friends that still smoke pot, right. And I'm not, nothing against smoking pot, but still wearing the same uh, flannel shirts and, and uh, leather, black leather jackets. Like, dude, man, you're, you're 50 years old. You know, you still got that, that black leather jacket. It's like, yes, worn. <laughs> you got to change that mindset. Right. Know? I'll never forget. I went to a Jay Giles concert, which is, a, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're a great band and they broke up. Uh, we used to go every New Year's Eve. They, they were so upset with each other that they didn't get together for like 25 years. And when they finally came back and did a reunion, like it's like awesome. And they're one of the best dance bands to go to. Not like uh, just like good rock and roll dance. And when I went there, I remember looking around and seeing everybody, and everybody was like bald and fat. I was like, right. what happened to all the kids? <laughs> you know? But a lot of them were in the same clothes, you know, the, the the flannel shirts and the leather jackets, like, damn, man. The only thing that changed is they got bald and fat. They didn't change their like their attitudes. <laughs> and that that's really what life is all about is, is changing, you know, changing, changing with the time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's growing. It's not changing, it's growing. Right. It's growing because you're feeding yourself information on a regular basis, you know, about how the world is changing. God, yeah, it's, change I've been to I've been to a couple of concerts like that, and I'll I'll keep who to myself. But yeah, you, know, you look around, you're like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> like, who are these people? It's like, oh, it's people like me. Exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. I know that you're gonna you're actually gonna give away a book. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote a book called Multifamily Millions a few years ago. It's the foundational book on multifamily investing. A lot of people have um, read that book and that has really been the catapult for them to move forward. So I got that book. Uh, it's got, it comes with a couple of bones. All I ask is you pay shipping and handling. It's like $7.95. But I will send you that book on Amazon. It's $23.95 today. Um, but then I'll give you an emerging markets poster as well that you can put on your wall and it, it outlines the four phases of the market cycle. And so you can recognize whichever phase your particular area is in, how to recognize emerging markets. And it tells you what strategies you should be using at each one of those particular phases. And then there's one more awesome bonus. I can't forget what, I can't remember what it is. But if you go to davetoday.com, you'll see what it is. So you can get all that free, just pay for the shipping and handling. I'll be, I'll be happy to send it out to you and uh, potentially get you started. I mean, the one thing you, you got to admit about that book is, is um, you can hear me. I mean, yep. I wrote that book sitting here, like I told you earlier, before we started recording, sitting here, uh, looking out at that, uh, at my backyard at four o'clock in the morning, an hour every morning for four months. This is how I wrote that book because I was so busy when they asked me to write it. I wanted to do it, but I had no time. So I just made do, you know, with how I could do it. Yeah, and, it uh, is. You know, I have, I have read the book. It is it's made a difference in my life. And, and like I mentioned earlier in the, in the show, you, you spoke to me, right? Like there were moments in the book where I was like, I'm that guy. You're, you're talking about me. I'm the guy that wants to get rid of this thing because I'm tired because I did it wrong. And yeah, I wish I had read this book before I started and probably would have started with some bigger properties too, as opposed to, you know, playing it safe and trying to like work my way up. Cause like you mentioned that that's like the conventional wisdom. It's like, start small, where you're comfortable. And like, I just kind of grew, you know, so we went to doubles, right? Like now this is about as big as we got. And because it was comfortable, it felt right. You know, it's like, oh, I can yeah. do this one. I can do another one. And I can do another one. We did. And we had, you know, 11, 12 properties in four different states. Yeah, and you, we were like, great. So you should have done like one or two of those and then moved up and yep. life would have been easier. Yeah. So um, we're, we're talking 10 years too late, but I'm, I'm not dead yet. So <laughs> You know what I discovered about life? Life is forgiving. And yes. now is a great time to get started, especially awesome. coming into this, this big opportunity with the COVID crisis. You know, so 
if it's not, you know, you, people move on to different things. I'm a proponent of doing whatever, you know, makes you happy, makes you comfortable and, and doing what you want to do. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking for opportunities, anybody's looking for opportunities, the multifamily opportunity that's coming, we haven't seen since the 2008 financial crisis. It's going to be huge. And really, if you just focus for two to three years, I, I typically say if you will do for three to five years what most people won't do, you can, you can do for, whatever, for the rest of your life whatever you want. Right. You know, but in this particular case, it's really a two to three year period. Focus hard for two to three years and you can set yourself up for life. I mean, it, that's really exciting. I mean, it really is exciting. And, and that's kind of why I wanted to ask you the question about like, when you think about real estate and then the headlines that you're hearing, they all seem to be everything's going gangbusters. And you're saying like, no, there's a ton of opportunity. This thing is correcting. Um, that's personally exciting. But I think the other message that I kind of want to you know, resonate with, with my audience here is what you mentioned earlier on in the show too, is that when you build the right systems and you have the right teams, it doesn't just, this is not just a mindset for multifamily investing. This is a mindset for business. And then oh, you have found that you can take kind of the systems and the processes and you can turn and you can pivot. Yeah, there's some things, there's some nuances about the other business that you need to know. But once you have the, the right mindset, the right teams, the right systems in place and operating, you know, small tweaks and you're off in a totally different direction when those opportunities arise. Absolutely. Business is a, is a game of strategies and tactics. And if you understand the underlying strategies and tactics and team building is a huge part of it, you can do any type of business, any type of business. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much. And you guys check out the, um, the book giveaway. I'll put the, uh, the, the website in the show notes for you to make that easy for you. And then I'll also go back through and, and put all the books that Dave recommended because I'll probably be reading them always looking for good books. So thank you for that. And I guess, Dave, any, any parting comments for the, for the listeners out there? No. Uh, well, you know, the thing uh, that separates those that have and have not are the ones that take action. So if you want it, go get it. Okay. We're going to leave it right there. That's awesome. That concludes this week's show. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or directly on the site. Your comments are truly appreciated. Good, bad, or indifferent, and will help make the show better. This is Jake Wiley with Wiley on Business, and we'll talk again in two weeks.